is blazing hot today. I wore my preaching shorts, man. I am ready to go. Got a little sun yesterday playing with the kids. Hey, if you have a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 10. We are finishing what has been an eight Sunday slash 10 week experience called Rooted. Uh, Don't miss this Wednesday night for those who have been doing the Rooted class. I've had a ton of people sign up and many of you stick with it. Thank you guys. Thank you. This morning, we're going to talk about rediscovering the relational mission of Jesus. So turn to Luke chapter 10. As you're doing that, I want to highlight something. We, we probably don't at this service because they're out there, but any Mercy students in here? Any Mercy students in here? Yeah, yeah, a few of you guys. We just had 50 students head down to uh, Florida this week for our camp, our Mercy Break camp. Got some pictures of it. It was an incredible time. To my knowledge, everyone came back safely. I love that picture. By the way, Mercy Students is just blowing up right now. Be praying for it. I mean, in a good way, it's blowing up. God is just doing some really cool things. Uh, we actually baptized three people at the, in the ocean down there in the Gulf of Mexico, which is awesome. You may clap for that. Justin Cruzy even got baptized down there. It was a really cool, awesome, incredible trip. Be praying for them. No Mercy students tonight. The summit is not meeting tonight because they were at a week of camp. They will be back next Sunday night. Don't miss it at 7 o'clock. Be praying for Pastor Luke and the interns and everybody. So here's the thing. Like, we get this when it has to do with students, but when it has to do with adults, what I'm going to share with you uh, this morning, most of us, Most of us don't really follow the words of Jesus, and some of us feel a little bit of guilt over that. And so my goal this morning is to inspire you, to challenge you, to encourage you to live out of Luke chapter 10. And I want to ask this question. It won't be on the screen just yet. Do you believe that you will likely die? This is morbid. Do we believe that you will likely die before you were 100 years old? See, uh, I got away and I was working uh, remotely off-site this week. I do that once a year to try and get away and see big picture stuff. Uh, anybody ever do that? It, man, I'll tell you, I always, once I step back and observe what's really going on in my life and what God's up to, I'm always amazed at how I begin to realize the finite nature of my life. You ever realize that? Like, I know that I believe as a Christian that one day Jesus will return. He will put the world as it should be. We will live eternally in the new heaven and new earth with God. I believe that to the core of my soul. And if you were a Christian this morning and you believe that, this message is incredibly simple, but hugely important. Immensely important to our lives. You most likely, most of us will never see a hundred years, yet the Bible teaches we will spend eternity with God. And what we do with this little short period of time we've got now matters. We talked about last week, good stewardship with our finances matter. But this morning, I want to talk about with your time and your energy and your talents and your efforts, what does it look like to invest your life in God? Because the passage that we are reading would have been incredibly challenging And it would have caused us to ask questions like, do I really believe this? What am I doing then with my life that is actually going to make an impact for eternity? What am I doing that will actually matter in a hundred years? If you approached your life as a missionary for Jesus, some of you might drastically look at your job and your career. 
Some of you might even quit your job. I'm not encouraging you to do that this morning. I think you should keep your job. But what if God has something radical for you that if you really took back a moment and reflected on the finite nature of your life, that you might just say, this matters more than I thought it did. How many people do you think you would have helped with your life if you invested it in the things that really mattered? I'll put this question up. How many people would live eternally with God in heaven because of your investment? I'm rediscovering relational mission this morning and my passion for each of us Okay, because I get up here and I feel like God's gifted me a little bit as a communicator of the gospel, of the good news of Jesus. I can evangelize from the stage, so to speak. My wife will tell you and those who really know me, I am not the most natural relational evangelist. And so if you are like that this morning, I want to share some of the things I've learned from following Jesus in my life and this passage in scripture. And 17 years ago, when I finally got this, it was life-altering for me. It's really simple, but for some of you this morning, it might just be uh, life-altering. These were the types of questions the early Christians, not Christians, I don't know who they are, but the early Christians might have been asking. You ready to study God's word together? Mm-hmm. Come on now, church. Here we go. Verse one. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place he was about to go. Picture that if it was you, and you're one of the 72 that are going to be sent out. You haven't been equipped. You haven't been even learned how to preach or learn the Bible well yet, and you were sent out. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go. Go. I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not, ladies, even take a purse, leave Gucci at home or your bag or your sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace, or the word is shalom, is there, your peace, your shalom will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcome to eat what is offered to you, heal the sick who are there. Man, it's getting freaky. And tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcome, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. Will you pray with me? God, I know in this room right now, uh, we all come from different backgrounds. Some people, some of us, we have been Christians a long time and we have become comfortable, stagnant in our faith. And if we were able to objectively observe our life, we would say we're missing out. We are wasting parts of our lives right now. God, may you encourage us and convict us this morning to live differently. For those that I know are here or are watching online that maybe consider themselves atheist or agnostic or maybe they're Christian and don't even know it yet or maybe they recently gave their life to Christ and they have no idea what they're doing. God, we pray and we acknowledge the presence of your Holy Spirit right now with us. And God, we just pray you'd speak to us through scripture. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said, amen. Before I became a pastor, in my early years of living out my faith, I started working at a Christian sports camp in Missouri. I don't know if you've been to Missouri in the middle of July. It is miserable. You don't want to go there. 
It'll literally be 100 degrees with like a humidity of about 180%, I'm convinced. You sweat just by walking out the door, just by breathing, you lose calories. That's what it's like there. I had this brilliant idea at this camp where there were a lot of strict rules about what was allowed into the camp. Uh, We had a particular student one time that I was gonna invest in for about the next, I believe it was month. And my co-counselor, Ricky, and I had been friends for a while, and every time we'd be praying about the guys we were about to invest in, it'd be about 12 guys. And this one kid in particular, I'll always remember this. He got off the bus that he had taken hours to get to this camp in the middle of nowhere. He had his headphones on, which they don't allow outside music at this camp. I told you a little bit legalistic. As he got off the bus and the music is playing in his ears, we could hear a little bit of it. We quickly learned that he was listening to some M&M. Come on. Marshall Mathers, for those of you who don't know who that is. But so him and Marshall Mathers were very close. They spent a lot of time together listening to him on his headset. And he literally was a disciple of Eminem. He made that very clear. And we loved this kid. He was a lot of fun. So we began to just invest in him. He, did, he didn't consider himself a Christian or a follower of Jesus. He didn't believe that. And we began to just pray because we believed that's what, if we really believe Jesus is going to return and we're going to spend eternity in heaven, I wanted Joey to be there with us. And so I began to just talk to him and pray with him. And my co-counselor, Ricky, and I, we got this brilliant idea that only 21-year-olds can come up with. And we said, um, you know, if we believe that God is real and living and active, let's not just pray for Joey. Let's fast. It was a sports camp. You literally would burn like 12,000 calories a day. Okay, that's what it's like. I'm exaggerating. But let's fast until this kid gives his life to Christ. That's crazy. Right? Like, I, I need to be checked out. I'm clinically insane at that point. And we literally, for the next 24 hours, we did not eat a thing. Nothing. I don't even think we drank water and I didn't drink any Kool-Aid. There was nothing happening. Like, I was worried I very well might die in the 110 degree weather in Missouri. And I came to Ricky that night and being the very strong, passionate Christian that I am, I said, Ricky, I give up. Like, Joey didn't change his life. I believed that God was going to, he didn't do it today, so I can't do it another day. Don't make me do it again, man. Please make it stop. And so we quit. This is a true story. And nothing happened in Joey's life for the next couple of weeks. No life change. Never saw anything from that. About a year goes by, and I get an email from this particular student. And he said, Josh, I just want to let you know that the way that you and Ricky like invested in me during those weeks at camp, I didn't want to hear it. I didn't want anything from it, but you guys didn't force it on me. You just loved me the way Jesus did. And eventually it clicked. And like a year later, he surrendered his life to Christ and started going to this local church. And he's like, now I want to invest everything I've been given to help other people learn about Jesus. That is the type of life change. That's the type of big God that we serve. That he could take a guy like Saul who was overseeing the killing of Christians. We talk about often here. He was a terrorist in his own day, literally. And in that one moment, he encounters Jesus. Everything changes. He writes much of the New Testament, starts most of the churches in the Roman Empire. The Joeys of the world and the other people out there, he's not done with them and he's not done with you. And nothing changed there between Joey and God, the big God that we serve, 
But us actually believing that God was going to show up, I think that's different than most of us in our society today. Most of us, we feel like we need to make excuses for God. And I don't think you need to do that. I believe that God is asking us, calling out to us, to live by faith in a way that he has to show up. To see that the short time we have on this planet, that God can use us relationally to invest in others, that that's the way the gospel historically has always advanced. And that it's not abusive or, or forcing somebody to follow Jesus. We don't do it in a way that condemns somebody or makes them feel less as a person. But we do it because we genuinely love somebody and we want to tell them of what God has done in our life. The big God that we serve, I keep this a reminder in my office just about the big God that we serve. I got this, this letter uh, here. I'll read it here in a moment. And some of you may be new to the church and you don't know this story. This used to be on the front door of this building. This used to be a Borders bookstore. Anybody, any, any of you who are able to read, used to come here to the Borders bookstore, some of you that can read? Okay. Uh, I can remember we were barely, barely a three-year-old church. We began praying for a facility. We realized this was available, and we just thought, no way. Impossible. How could a church that's only been in existence for three years purchase this property? And I can remember over that period of time just seeing God like he so faithfully has since we've moved here time and time again show up. And this church that a few years ago had been meeting in our family room in our house down the road here, God was actually stirring people in, uh, enough that hundreds of you volunteered to make this affordable and able to be used as a place of worship. And it's an incredible testimony because I remember getting this, this message from the realtor we were working with. I love the guy. And he brought this to us, and it was a little crinkled up, and it had two sentences. It said, Dear Mr. Hoosman in the church, uh, thank you for your letter of intent for the above-mentioned property. We are not interested in further negotiations on this proposal and reject the offer. Sincerely. <laughs> well, that was it. And within one month, we had an agreed upon price and something that we could actually afford and get in here. And I want to tell you, it was, I really believe it was only God and God's timing. And I think sometimes we really diminish what God could actually do with our lives if we believed he would show up, how he could impact our communities. Do you believe, I believe this to be true, if you consider Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you're going to spend eternity with him, that you are now sent on mission to help those in need and to share your faith, that literally every single Christian in the room, not just the ones on the stage, are called to be a missionary to their community. And some of it may be in another part of the country and some of it may be to the neighbor that lives like 100 feet from you. That's what this morning is about, and we're going to move quickly. So if you're taking notes, I want to give you four steps to living on relational mission. Could you imagine those early Christians who had just received Jesus, and he now sends them out two by two from village to village to tell people about the good news of Jesus? It was all relational. The first point I want to give you is simply pray and go. Go is in the emphatic. That means there's an exclamation point. I didn't put it there. It's in the, the, the gospel here in Luke. Read the first four verses with me. Again, after this, the Lord pointed 72, sent them out two by two, verse two. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. 
You ever know, it wasn't just true today, it's true 2,000 years ago. I, I hear people that will say, man, we really could use some more volunteers when we move to three services, and we could. And we've set a hard goal of getting 75% of the people in our church, like that's insane, 75% of people serving in some capacity. But I want to tell you, I had a professor one time challenge us with this. He said, whenever I feel like there's not enough help to accomplish what God is calling us to do, I pray to the Lord of the harvest. He said, I literally meet somebody that loves Jesus and passion. I'll write their name down and I will begin to pray specifically for that person in a little notebook that I keep. And ask that maybe this guy or woman, that God would awaken them to what they are to do and participate in the life of a local church to make an impact with their lives. And inevitably, God always supplied for the harvest. And for some of us in here, we have sat in seats for a really, really, really long time. And maybe we've even done it. We've prayed to the Lord of the harvest. We prayed before for things in our lives. But verse three is really the life-changing one, I believe, for American church culture. And that is this one word of real simple this morning, go. You see, some of us in this room right now, God is calling you to go. He's calling some of you. It is no mistake that in parts of the country or parts of the world that no one hears the gospel, there is a shortage of people telling people about Jesus. I believe it's because many of us are not responding to God's calling to live on mission. And some of us, we're sitting here just living it up in American culture because it's easy. And he's calling you to go. Others of you, he's calling you to help those people who are going. Others of us, he's calling us to go to our local community to make an impact, to step out in faith. Some of us, he's just calling us to go across the street, right? Some of us, he's calling us rather than when our neighbor waves at us, we try and hide and get in our house really quickly, right? Like, I know some of you do it because they're going to like talk my ear off. What if instead you started waving back and walking towards them? That God, he's just calling some of you just to go across the street and have a conversation with your neighbor. You'll be amazed that when you live out that principle, how it will change. I love uh, Francis Chan has this great analogy that I'm going to steal. See, my son, he's going into second grade, and sometimes he gets homework. And his students in here, you get lots of homework, right? Like if my son comes home and he tells me, hey, dad, I got a bunch of homework to do tonight. And I say, well, son, you need to do your homework. Go do it. And he says, well, you know, what I'd really like to do first is I'd like to begin to pray about my homework first. And then, you know, I'd like to do some studying, prepare myself mentally for the homework. And then I thought about getting a group of people together and we'd sit in a circle and we'd all talk about our homework, about how one day we'd like to do our homework and then we get done talking about doing our homework. We'd pray some more about God. Please help us do our homework. I'd maybe get online, do a little research how other people do their homework. And then after long enough, you know, it finally gets to the point like sometimes the only way to complete the assignment is to just do the homework. Like if you never do it, it doesn't matter. You can talk about it all you want. I believe in studying the Bible, but if all we do is study the Bible and we don't live it, it is worthless. Some of us, just to go, get outside our comfort zone, pray and go and see that God shows up. Did you notice that he didn't equip any of the people in this passage? There was no evangelism training class for 12 weeks before he sent them out. Now look, I believe in training, I believe in praying, I believe in studying the Bible for sure, I believe in equipping and preparing people. 
We spend a year in our discipleship huddles, investing in just a few people. We believe in it so strongly. But you don't have to be equipped to see God show up in your life. You don't have to be. These 72 individuals were not. They prayed and they went. Finally, in in verse five, the second point I want to make, we're moving quick, look for a person of peace. It says, when you enter a house, first say peace or shalom. Shalom was a, a Hebrew word that literally meant peace. It was like the peace that God supplies, only God can supply, but it was also used as a greeting and a goodbye. So you'd see people be like, oh, hey, shalom, shalom. Shalom, brother, how you doing? Shalom, chest bump, shalom. That's how it worked. That's how you greeted one another. And so they said, when you go into a house and you say shalom and they receive it and they return the shalom, the peace of God, and it's just natural that you begin to talk about spiritual things, he says, stay on in that location. Verse five, I, I read there, say peace to this house. Verse six, if someone who promotes peace, shalom is there, your shalom will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there eating and drinking. Some of us, we need to begin to look for people of peace that return our shalom, our greetings, our willingness to invest in them. You can identify these people as people that you naturally can talk to about spiritual things and they actually receive it. Some of them may be Christians. Some of them may not be Christians yet. And you don't know if they ever will, but God has placed them in your life for a particular reason. I have a a number of different people that I invest in throughout the month that I believe are people of peace that God has placed in my life. I love them, not because they do anything for me, although I love them all, they're fun. I love them and I want to invest in them because I believe that's what God has called us to as Christians, not so that we get anything in return, but we just love our friends well. Who are the people in your life right now that might be people of peace that you could begin to invest in them? Talk to them about how what God has done in your life. That is the calling of a Christian. These 72 individuals were just sent out. There was no training. There was no equipping. He just said, go. Ladies, don't take your purse with you. Fellas, no man bags. You get nothing. You got to actually trust that God is going to supply you with your words and your necessities. That's crazy. But that's what it was like to follow Jesus. That's what relational mission looked like, that you were constantly doing things that you weren't prepared to do. I can remember when I first started living for Jesus, somebody demonstrated to me what it was like to pray about God, give me the words as I talk to this person that I love and I want them to find Christ like I did. Give me the words to share. And you'll be surprised at how he shows up as we look for people of peace. I got to imagine if we were one of the 72, we would make excuses, right? Like, no, no purse, no bag. Come on. I mean, just picture Judas for just a second. Jesus, are you sure? Are you sure? Thomas is doubting the whole thing. I'm not sure this is a great idea. Judas is like, could you at least slide like maybe 30 pieces of silver my way before we go? Because I'd like to be provided for first. And they just went. And they actually saw God show up. No evangelism training, no memorizing the Bible first. They didn't memorize the Torah like the great rabbis did. They simply just went. Number three, if you're taking notes, that you invest in your oikos. You invest in your oikos. See, it says this at the end of verse seven. Stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. Oikos is not just the Greek yogurt that you eat. 
It is the Greek word for householder, the eight to 15 in your sphere of influence. And it says, do not move from oikos to oikos. God has given you a particular sphere of influence that when you invest in it, you could actually see him begin to make an impact in their lives. This is historically how the gospel always spread. We remember the stories of like the Billy Graham crusades or Peter reaching 3,000 people in one day. And I believe in public evangelism, absolutely. But I want to tell you historically, the gospel has spread because people just invested in their sphere of influence, told them how Jesus changed their lives, and they began to experience it in their own. That's how it works. It's real simple. It's just hard to do. And it makes us uncomfortable. But they begin to see God show up because of it. The reason Jesus wanted to stay there and not move because they were relying on God's provision, not always looking out for just a better situation. As John Nolan writes this, the house where a son of peace has been found is to become a stable base of operations for the messenger. He is to be sustained there as one of the household. He is to receive this provision as God's payment to his harvest worker. And he is not to seek to better his circumstances by trying out other possible havens of hospitality. This would be both to despise God's provision and to deny the primacy and eschatological urgency of the mission task. Essentially, let's dumb this down. He says it's like a slap in the face to God to not rely on his provision and believe in the urgency of which he's given you this moment to invest in those individuals in your sphere of influence. We're going to show a video now. Some of you guys have seen this before. It's one of the only video clips that I will show more than once here because I believe it so illustrates what we're talking about. Some of the people of peace in your life, they may become Christian. Some of them may not. Some of them may, you never get to see them receive Jesus, but you planted that seed that one day God grows. Some of you, God may be using you to grow somebody's faith. Somebody, you may be actually uh, getting to that point of harvest with them and you get to present the good news of Jesus. We don't know where they're at. You may never see the wake of impact of you practicing this relational mission, but you will eternally in heaven. Let's watch this video together. This is Nate. Nate became a Christ follower two weeks ago and is still a bit giddy about it. Now he's trying not to do cartwheels in public. Nate became a believer partly because of Kim. Yet oddly enough, Kim and Nate have never met. Now is this possible? Well, let's take a look. Kim loved Jesus from an early age and in college she had a huge impact on her friends. While most of her peers used their college years to, well, experiment, Kim didn't. She remained committed to her faith, and it showed. It especially showed to Lisa, her roommate, who confessed to Kim that she wanted whatever it was that made Kim so strong. Kim shared her faith with Lisa, and Lisa believed. Years later, at Lisa's first real job, she met Thomas. Thomas was hit by a drunk driver when he was 13 and still carried a lot of anger and bitterness. Thomas and Lisa became friends, and it wasn't long before he started going to church with Lisa and her husband. After a lot of studying and searching, Thomas gave his life to Christ. Fast forward a few years. Thomas became a public speaker and was often asked to speak at large events. See, when he became a believer, Thomas developed a new perspective on life. He stopped resenting what had been taken from him and started being thankful for the second chance he had been given. On one particular day, Thomas shared about overcoming hardship and what it means to choose joy. 
He was so passionate that a number of people were inspired to share a link to his video. The video of Thomas inspired James, too. And if anyone needed inspiration, it was him. James had a ton of issues. He spent most of his life as a passive husband, an absent father, and a horrible friend. That said, no one disliked him more than he disliked himself. But everything changed the night he happened to watch Thomas online. Something clicked and he knew what he had to do. He surrendered his miserable life to someone greater, and he was forever changed. James fought hard to make up for the lost years with his family. And he also began working with young men who were in danger of throwing their lives away. One of those men was Nate. Nate didn't really know his own dad, and he had no real direction in life, ultimately bouncing from one bad decision to another. Because of that, he often found himself in trouble with the law. No one had ever showed him what it looked like to be a real man. That is, until he met James. James became the first father figure Nate ever had. He learned about honesty, self-control, humility, and integrity, and where those traits come from. Two months later, Nate publicly declared his belief in Christ. And of course, James was there. Now you can see the connection. Nate was impacted by James, who was influenced by Thomas. Thomas saw an uncommon joy in Lisa, who learned of Jesus from Kim. Kim's relationship with God eventually led to Nate's. Funny how these two people have never met and never will. Don't you love that? Like, like some of you are here today because of something exactly like that. I don't know who your Nate is about who through the trickle effect of all the impact God uses your life to do is going to be, but I believe that they're out there. And, and it's only when we step back and begin to reflect on our lives that we can experience and understand God's greater picture, that we don't get that much time on this planet, and that most of us, we spend our time trying to become comfortable or advance our career. And I don't know about you, but I feel like sometimes I waste a lot of my life on things that don't matter. See, we, we want to see God make an impact. But these four steps, we believe that a lot of times God won't honor it. He won't show up. Right? That if number one, we pray and go, and number two, we look for a person of peace in our lives, or number three, we invest in our oikos, that either God won't show up, we're not equipped or gifted enough, or we're a mom that's home with the kids all day. How am I supposed to make an impact? You don't understand how busy I am at work. What am I actually going to do that's going to matter? You never know who that one life that you change will be. And that one life may lead more people to Jesus than any other person in human history. You don't know. Your job is simply to pray for, to go, to look for people of peace, to invest in your sphere of influence. And number four, this is the simplest, but maybe the hardest for us, tell your story. You see, throughout the New Testament, the Christians learned how to share their story of what God had done in their life through Jesus. Nobody's better at that than Saul. I mentioned him earlier, he became Paul. He literally, in the book of Acts, three different times, he recounts how Jesus changed his life on the road to Damascus. He keeps telling the story over and over and over again. He writes this to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 to 8. Paul writes, for what I have received, I pass on to you as what? Of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, 
and that he appeared to Cephas, which is Peter, and then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. And maybe there are some of us in the room this morning who may be abnormally born this morning. That if we really believe that Jesus will return and put the world right, that he overcame death itself by raising from the grave, that anything is possible in this lifetime if God is in it. That any life can change, any of our family members, any of our friends, including our own. And if we really believe what the Bible teaches, the Holy Spirit has been with us in this space together right now throughout this morning. And I may have not said anything that impacted your life, but the Spirit of God has slowly been chipping away at our callousness, working in to our inner being and to our soul within the heart of our lives to teach us about who he is and he's drawing us near to him. And that some of us may choose to respond to that and begin to tell our stories of how God has changed us. It's a real easy to do. I'll give you three little uh, outline points of how to tell your story. Number one, tell about your life before you met Jesus. Number two, how you met Jesus. And number three, how your life has changed since encountering him. Leave that up on the screen. I want to read verses eight and nine in this passage in Luke 10. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered, heal the sick who are there, and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. That is someone who believed God was going to show up if they lived out the principles that we have been discussing. And you know what they did? I had a friend recently, I didn't ask for permission to do this, but that's okay, we're friends. I, I, I had a friend recently ask me, you know, I, I'm really struggling with this one concept and I'm not sure I can really fully believe in Jesus and God and all of, all of that. And he's like, what, sh- what should I do? And we'd read lots of books together. And I said, um, why don't you just ask him? <laughs> ask him. And, uh, and so he did. And literally in a Dick's Sporting Goods, God spoke back to him. Isn't that crazy? Like it just took asking him. And I wonder if for sometimes we just don't really believe that God is going to show up. And when we, he doesn't, we feel like we got to make excuses for him. He, he doesn't need your excuses. He created the entire universe. He's okay with how it's being worked out in our lives. But we need to ask him. We need to respond. We need to trust that he is going to show up. And so I thought I'd just model this for you as we close out the service together. When I was 19 years old, I was somebody who had grown up around Christianity, around the church, and never had anything to do with it. I'd never lived it out. I never fully believed it. I just wanted to go to heaven when I died, and that was about it. And I remember distinctly, something happened in my life that I couldn't control. Up to that point in my life, I found my happiness in accomplishing things, being successful at things. I got a free ride to college because of it. I'd seen God do some cool things in my life, so I thought, because I was, you know, a hardworking, determined person. And we all have our temptations that Satan loves to use. Mine was to accomplish and achieve and finding my value in that. And then I had something in my life where someone I cared about attempted suicide, and I realized I couldn't control or solve or achieve or do anything to stop that. And it hit me that I really am completely helpless. You and I are completely helpless uh, for how our lives eventually will turn out. I'm, I still work hard. I still believe you work as if working for the Lord. But let me tell you, we don't know what life is going to throw at us. 
And it was in that moment that I, somebody invited me to go to this campus ministry at the college I was attending. I went there, they presented the gospel, they talked about Jesus, they talked about eternal life, they talked about actually living as a missionary and not just a Bible studier. And it was in that moment that I finally got convicted and I surrendered my life to Jesus then and everything changed ever since. Dramatically for me, it doesn't happen this way with everybody. I gave up a lot, I was in the middle of a fraternity scene and doing everything that a 19 year old frat guy does. And in that moment, God changed me. And within months, I was leading a Bible study in the fraternity house. I didn't know anything about the Bible. Nothing. I was not equipped at all. But I, I was like, I like these guys, and I believe I'm going to heaven now, and I want these guys to go there too. So I just started saying, hey, anybody wants to talk about the Bible, let's get together and we'll talk about it. And all of a sudden, this thing grew to like 20 or 30 people coming to this Bible study. Not because anything that was shared there was fantastic. It was kind of pathetic but because God was actually moving and working. Sometimes we just need to pray and go and trust that he'll do the rest. And as I got involved in ministry time and time again, I began to see him show up more. See, some of us, we wanna see miraculous things happen in our lives, but we never put ourselves in a position where those could actually happen. It, you know, most of us, we, we're never gonna see the sun stand still in our faith or the Red Sea part, right? Like, we're not gonna see God save us from pouring rain for days and days and days, we're not going to see miraculous things happen if we can't just tell our neighbor about our faith in Jesus. Like if I can't even talk to my closest friends about what God has done in my life, why do I expect that he's going to do some crazy miraculous thing? And it hit me. Like if we really want to see God show up, we must live that way. And as I got away this week, I got so convicted all over again that for many of us as Christians, we sit in our seats for decades in our churches and we never really love our neighbors well. We never really love our oikos well. We get so distracted by the busyness of this life that we don't take the time to simply invest in the one thing that's gonna matter when all is said and done. I believe we were created for more. I believe that some of you in this room are sleeping giants of the faith that are just now being awakened to the passion of your soul of Jesus Christ. And when you begin to live out that faith and you pray and you go and you look for people of peace and you invest in your sphere of influence, your oikos, and you just simply tell your story of how Jesus changed, there's nothing condemning or judgmental about that. It is just inspiring and life-changing when people experience it. The church does not exist today with hundreds of people coming to worship because a few years ago in our house, all of a sudden I got good at being a preacher. It happened because people actually invested in their sphere of influence and we have witnessed time and time again people change their lives surrender to Jesus, be baptized, and then go back out and do it again. That's the good news of the gospel of Jesus and the missional relationship that he's calling you to. Will you pray with me? God, I love the people in this room. We thank you, God, for all that you do. We thank you, God, for all that you do. And some of us in this room, we have been sitting around way too long. And like anybody who sits around way too long, we get distracted. We get ourselves involved in sin issues. And so we feel like we can't step out in faith and see you do something because we got this messed up part of our life or we're not equipped. We don't have all the right words. We haven't memorized enough of the Bible and those things are all great. But God, this morning, we pray that you would empower us. That there's some of us who have been Christians a long time and we've become stagnant in our faith 
And when we begin to actually invest to see an impact made with our lives, to tell others about how you have changed us. So that is you here in the room. You consider yourself a Christian and you want to invest everything you have into following Jesus within this lifetime to see him show up and save people that are far from him. Pray this with me. God, we confess that we need you. God, we know that anything is possible if you are involved. And so right now, maybe it's some family members or friends some people of peace in our lives. If God has given you anybody in particular right now, let's all pray for them. Pray for them right now. And just silently pray for those people in your life that you want to see have a, a life change. God, we pray for these people not because we're better than them or we're judging them, but because we love them and we believe you'll return and we want to spend eternity with you and have them with us. I think of the people on my mind right now. I pray they receive you, Jesus. I pray they live their lives for you. God, use us. Give us the words. Prepare our hearts and souls. And then for some of us in the room, we've been around you, Jesus. We've known about you. But hearing this, we don't have that passion. We have never surrendered our life to you and allowed you to lord over our lives. And so we desire that. If that's you this morning, you want to follow Jesus, the Bible says in Romans 10, 9, confess him as Lord of your life and you will spend eternity with him. Pray this silently as I prayed out loud. God, I confess. Maybe somebody needs to do this out loud even. God, I confess that I am far from you. Forgive me for my wrongdoing. And on this morning, June 12th, 2016, I surrender everything in my life to you. Use me. Help me to lead a life of mission that will matter eternally. God, we love you. We give you this church and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's family said, amen.